Hey friend, I'm Beth Ann Schwamberger, host of the Brilliant Business Moms podcast. This show is all about brilliant women, just like you, who are growing their businesses in the margins. You're juggling nap time and work time, wiping up messes with writing blogs, and I don't believe you need big, impressive numbers or shiny accolades behind your name to be brilliant. This show is about realistic, doable strategies that will work for you and your business right where you are. Big and little wins are celebrated here, and every single one of my listeners is a big deal in my book. Grab your coffee, and maybe the laundry, and be encouraged by business mamas who'll make working in the margins just a little more fun. Today on the show, I have Erica Newmeyer with me of Rare Dirndl. <laughs> I had to ask Erica how to pronounce that. Her business is raredirndl.com. And she creates super fun, unique dirndls, which she'll explain to all of us what that's all about in a minute. But that's her business. It's very niche down. She's very successful. She's got a six-figure business. She's a mom to a little two-year-old. And you're going to love learning from Erica on today's show. So welcome, Erica. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Okay, so first of all, I would love to hear how you got started with this business. And maybe in the course of telling us that, can you explain what a dirndl is and what people would wear one for? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. That is hands down the most common question I get asked. So I'm happy to answer it. So first, a dirndl is essentially what you would wear to an event like Oktoberfest. It's what the St. Pauli girl wears in the advertisements. It's the dress that is traditionally associated with Bavaria, southern Germany, Austria, parts of Switzerland. It consists of like a sleeveless dress with a blouse underneath and an apron. And there's different variations. Some have sleeves. You know, they're they're all different kinds, but that's a essentially it. Right. It's like traditional German wear. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. But definitely more like Southern half of Germany. Okay. Because yeah, Bavaria. And what is the town that Oktoberfest is huge in? Munich. Munich. Okay. Yes. There's a whole lot of other festivals around there, but that's the big one. And that's the one that everybody gets most excited about. (laughs) (laughs) So how might one get into (laughs) this field of deer balls? Like, how did this all start for you? Sure. So my ancestry, you know, go back a couple generations is from Germany. My grandparents on both sides moved to the U.S. from Yugoslavia, and they grew up in very German towns there. So they ate German food. They spoke the German language. So it was very kind of like a concentrated area of Germans living in Yugoslavia. So they came here after World War II, and they found other people in the area that were like them. And they had different German clubs that they participated in. They all got together. It was just kind of a social thing. And then they started dancing and singing. And my parents grew up and met in this German club. And subsequently, my parents put me in it as a kid. So starting at four years old, I was dancing in the kids group, the Kindergruppe. My sister did as well. High school, you joined the youth group. And that's where I met like all of my friends. And it was Friday nights, go to German club. We practiced dances and we would wear dirndls when we performed throughout the summer. And when I went to fashion school, I have a degree in fashion design from Dominican University. 
And upon graduation, I just saw how wonderfully modern the designs were that were coming out of Germany. And everything here in the U.S. was very stale. You could either get something that was cotton with small florals, or you could get something that was polyester with embroidery. Those were your options. And I was just like, this is not fun. And when you dance in the same outfit all the time, you want to change into something more exciting. So I made a couple in the beginning to see if people would enjoy them. And my friends started to like the designs and it kind of all snowballed from there. That is so neat. Yeah. I officially launched the line uh, Rare Darendel in 2010, and I graduated in 2009. So I spent that kind of summer and fall testing and seeing if this was even a valid idea, if there was enough people in the U.S. that would be interested in what I have to offer. And it turns out that there were. I love that. That is so neat. So you saw this need in your niche where you wanted more unique dirndls for everyone, which makes so much sense. Like you said, who wants to perform in the same costume, you know, week after week? That's no fun. And so you said you started out selling to kind of friends and family, people you knew, and then you officially opened your... Now, when you say open your store, did you start with your online store in 2010? Yeah. So, well, in 2010 is when I like opened the bank account (laughs) and I didn't have a website until April of that year. And you couldn't really shop on the website until I think a little bit later. And it was like super difficult to shop. You could only check out with PayPal. It was, you know, a website designed with HTML by a design student who just wanted to really make a cool website for his portfolio. So it wasn't super easy to check out, but (laughs) those were things I definitely learned along the way. (laughs) And yeah, I was just selling a couple things. And then there was one time I got an order for a Darendel from someone I had no idea who it was. And that was when it was the most like, it's like, oh my gosh, I think I can do this. <laughs> that moment is so exciting, right? Your first order from a stranger. Yep. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I'm doing this. I have a real business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I love it. So talk to me about how you grew. Like, how did you get the word out about Rare Dirndl? In the beginning, it was really a lot of word of mouth within the German community that I had grown up in. And also in Chicago, the German community is really tight knit. So word was traveling fast and it grew slowly over time. And I had found new pockets of different German clubs that I didn't even know existed before. And so I started reaching out to a couple people here and there. And I felt like if I could get one or two people to buy something and love it, then that's all I need. They'll kind of do the rest. And that strategy worked really well for quite a long time. And those people are what I kind of call customer A, or I also call her Jen. And she is 
involved in the German community. She's got a dirndl closet. She knows what is all involved in getting dressed in a dirndl. She probably has a couple of her go-to German restaurants. Her grandparents speak to her mostly in German, so she's got a little bit of knowledge of the language. She can kind of mix up German and English, and it's funny. Other things she does are on the weekends, primarily in the summertime. She's got German club events, a lot of friends in the German club, perhaps even her significant other. And this is, in the beginning, this was my 100% target customer. And I still, you know, do a lot of marketing towards Jen, but recently I've also added a secondary customer. Gotcha. And yeah, talk to me about that secondary customer. Yeah. So just, I'd say in the past two, three years, the secondary customer has almost become my primary customer. So her name is Linda and she is going to Oktoberfest or a different festival in Germany or some special event where she needs a dirndl, but she's not really sure what all goes with it. Does she need socks? Can she wear tights? What kind of shoes does she wear? Does she have to put her hair in braids? Like, what's the deal? Why is the zipper in the front? This is weird. So I, in recent years, have started to really gear my marketing towards her during the lead up to Oktoberfest. So starting right about now and through August, all of my marketing speak is really towards Linda because Jen already knows, but Linda doesn't. Gotcha. I love that you have those two different customer avatars. You know who they are, what their needs are, and you're speaking right to them. So tell me more about the kinds of content and marketing messages you're putting out into the world to draw in Linda, who's your, basically, she's brand new and just is going to be going to maybe a German festival for the first time. So in the beginning, I really, you know, I was a designer and I had this like landing page on my website and everything was very designer-esque. And a few years in, I realized, you know, this isn't fun. And wearing a dirndl, that's the whole point, is fun. It's eating giant pretzels that are bigger than your head. (laughs) It's having a beer that's also probably bigger than your head. (laughs) Like these are fun things. So as soon as I let go of that and really embraced the really fun aspects of it and just really had more spunk, put a lot of my personality and fun into it, it made it a lot easier. And that's really what I'm trying to tell Linda. I'm telling telling her that this is super fun and you don't have to worry about being authentic and traditional and whatever. Like just wear something that makes you feel fabulous and I'm going to help explain the rest of it. So recently I published a new, more extensive blog post on all the underwear. So everything from a bra to a tank top to bloomers and petticoats and slips and these things that still exist and you can still wear with a dirndl, but on a regular basis, you would not go buy bloomers and you would not go buy a slip. (laughs) Right. So these are the kinds of things that I'm creating for her. I also put together a travel checklist. So all the things you'll need to go to Oktoberfest, including a small purse because you can't bring a backpack. Make sure that you've got comfortable shoes. They don't need to be Mary Janes. They don't need to be heels, just something that looks comfortable and that you feel good in, that kind of stuff. And just putting it out there on my blog and then trying to get people on my email list because my email list is really where I drive most of the sales. Oh, okay. Oh, that's so good to hear because (laughs) that's something I teach 
teach, right? But it can be really, really hard to get online, you know, shop owners with physical products to get them on board with, hey, you really need to build your email list. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, yay. (laughs) So I wanna hear more about this. I know you mentioned that packing list, Mm -hmm. which sounds so awesome. And of course is going to draw in Linda, Mm -hmm. who's going to, she wants to go to Oktoberfest. Is that one of the main ways that you're adding new subscribers or is it something different? That is literally, it's going to launch like by the end of this week. And yeah, that is going to be one of my, I call it an IFO, an irresistible free offer that kind of draws them in. The other one that I've been running for years and still converts really well is my Dirndl style quiz. Like which Dirndl style are you? Oh yes. Okay. Yeah. Love it. That is the main way that I'm getting email subscribers at the moment. I also have a pop-up that was like a newsletter thing, but that didn't really convert as well. The Dirndl quiz is really, it's super fun. Everybody still seems to love a good quiz and that goes automatically into a little funnel that eventually tries to sell them a Dirndl. And the conversions on that particular funnel aren't wonderful, but I think a lot of it is also just getting on that list because I create and I give a lot of content. Okay. I love it. Now I did just see your quiz today because I noticed it was on your Instagram profile on your link tree for that. So that was, yeah, that was one of the things is like figure out what Deerndle style is right for you, which of course, yeah, if I'm looking for a Deerndle, like I want to know, I want that, I want that help. I thought it was so interesting too that for your quiz, people have to enter their name and email address before they even get started, before they even get the first question, which was so interesting to me. Yeah, I I set that up so long ago and it just seemed to be working. So yeah, you have to sign up for the email and then the first email that you get, like the trigger is being on this list. And then you get this email that says, here's your quiz. And it's just a link to a free quiz builder that I did, like I said, a long time ago. And you get one of three different styles. And I've put together kind of like a a magazine layout of here's the dress, here's the blouse, here's all the other things that would go with it. Here's a pair of shoes that would match. And this seems to be your style based on how you answered these questions. Gotcha. I love that. So then talk to me. And again, this is probably more technical than many interviews, but these are the questions that like my audience always wants to know. Mm -hmm. So they're going to be like, okay, great. Now, where all am I talking about this quiz? Where am I promoting it? How am I getting people to know about it and get on my list? Absolutely. So like you mentioned, it's in my link tree in the Instagram. I also promote it on Facebook. Right now I have a boosted post that has one of the things I'm really into right now is making videos on Wave. Oh, I think it's wave.video or something like that. If you Google Wave video, it'll come up. And it's a really easy way to turn still images into compelling videos. And it's really not difficult. I played around with it. And so I've been using that to generate some leads. So I boosted that for, I think, like $5 a day or something like that. And it's also on the website, pretty much front and center. It's also at the bottom of most blog posts. And it's just a text that says, ever wonder which gender style you are? Click here to take the quiz. On the sidebar of the blog, it's over there. For a while, it was in my email signature. It was like, P.S., if you're wondering what journal style you are, click here to take the quiz. I love it. And then do you periodically do another Facebook post about it or an Instagram post where you're just talking about that freebie or Instagram stories? Absolutely. 
I post on Instagram every other day, unless something really exciting is happening, then it's like every day. But it's usually every other day. So I try to mention the quiz every third or fourth post. I talk about it quite a bit. Okay. And I also have a Facebook group and I'll drop it in there every once in a while. But for the most part, I try to, I'd like to imagine that most of the people in the group are on the list, but you never know. (laughs) That's true. I mean, that's the thing is you never know, right? So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, I have to remind myself of this as well of like, okay, people see like one tenth of what we do or even one twentieth, you know, so you have to remind them quite a few times. Yeah, absolutely. And right now that boosted post on Facebook that I'm running is only to people who like my page. So in the past week, so the last seven days, and this is fresh because I checked it this morning, I've gotten 42 new subscribers from the quiz. That's awesome. And these are all just from Facebook leads that already liked my page, but weren't on my list. So it's just more information and, and clear to me that the people on Facebook, just because I post something, that doesn't mean that they see it right. at all. Definitely. And talk to me about your Facebook group. Is it like all about deer and dolls or what's the name of that group? Yeah. So it started out as a way to get sneak peeks or early access to things, but it's really evolved into more of just Dirndl culture. And so I'll post something that is like, I see something, a video about Frankfurt and I post it. I've never been to Frankfurt besides in the airport. Does anyone have a fun story about it? And so then the conversation kind of goes from there, but it's called the Rare Dirndl First Looks Club. And like I said, I kind of build it around getting first dibs on items. So if something is going on sale, I'll let them know first. Sometimes I'll do like a quick live sale if I've got some random jewelry or some things. I'll say, this is item number one. It's this much money. If you want to put your email in the comments and I'll send it to you. And I tend to post in there more often than on my Facebook page because they're more engaged. Okay. Gotcha. And how big is that group? It is 1,300 people. Okay. I think. Very cool. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that, you know, your email list is one of the main ways that you're making sales in your business. So I'd love to hear more about that, about the kinds of emails you're writing or promotions that you're running. Yeah, absolutely. So my email list as of Monday is uh, around 6,400 subscribers and I send emails weekly. Okay. It's usually three bits of content and one salesy email per month. The ratio goes up like more sales in the June, July, August, September season. So then it's more of like a 50-50 or some of the content has a more obvious pitch in it. And the content is, like I said, just from the blog. I've got lots of content built up over the years, so I'm trying to not make anything too new. I'm trying to just use what I already have because like I said, it's so hard to think that these people haven't seen it, but Mm -hmm. someone could be on my list for the first time today and they have no idea what I sent out two years ago. So why not send it out again? Right. And even the people that if they saw it two years ago, it's going to be a great reminder and a great, they'll maybe remember that they learned that thing before, but it still feels new to them too. Totally. I'm always testing things, but lately what I've been doing is a snippet bit from the blog and then click here to read more. And if they're interested in reading more, then they'll go over to the blog. And then that's, it's on the website and hopefully 
you know, the shopping carts right there. So then it might remind them that, oh, yeah, I wanted to get that. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Okay. So there's like an easy way for them to find the shop then from mm-hmm. that blog post. Okay. Yep. Very cool. When it's a sales email, talk to me a little bit more about that. Like, what does that look like? Sure. For me, short sales work better. So like a one or two day sale, if I say one of my popular items is an off the shoulder blouse, it's regularly $49. If I dock maybe five to $10 off and put it on sale that day and say, you have this much time, I'll potentially send three emails that day. And I use Klaviyo for my email service. And so I can segment people who have clicked but didn't buy. And so I'll hit them a little harder as well. And then I send like a last call email usually around 8.30. And that last call usually gets another sale or two. Okay, very cool. So Erica, you mentioned you've got, did you say 6,800? 64. 6,400 email subscribers. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing, everyone listening. Erica, her take-home pay is like nearly the same as her husband's take-home pay, which I love that because I think people assume they have to have an enormous email list in order to have a six-figure business, in order to bring home a great paycheck. And that's not true. And I think the reason why your, like your email list to me, it's what I would describe as like small but mighty because it's highly targeted. I mean, everyone on your list wants to learn more about Deerndoles, is in the market for one, is interested in them. And so they respond when you've got sales and promotions. Absolutely. And I really try, I don't ever look at my unsubscribes. I track my email list on a weekly basis. And sometimes I see that it's gone down. I'm like, oh, bummer. But I don't dwell on that because who knows why they're unsubscribing. You know, it could just have been a bad day and they're like, I can't look at another email. I'm unsubscribing from everything today. Or maybe they already went to Oktoberfest and they're not interested anymore. But I know from my sales and my marketing activities that email is definitely where most of my sales come from. If I send out an email and my phone makes the cha-ching noise, they're totally related. As opposed to Instagram, where I've spent a good, gosh, like nine months working really hard to build up my Instagram following. And then at the end of it, I was like, this isn't where all of my sales are coming from, you know, just because so-and-so over here has, you know, 20,000 followers and has a great business off Instagram. I'm doing that on email. And if I can bring those people over to my email, that's really what I want to do. So I switched my focus there a little bit. Instead of trying to find new followers on Instagram, I'm trying to just take those people and bring them into my email list. Because I also don't own my Instagram followers. Right. That's so true. You know, what was it a couple months ago? Instagram like disappeared for a couple hours and everyone was freaking out. (laughs) Yeah, it did. That was kind of crazy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that you're focused on getting those Instagram followers and engagers over to your email list. That's, I, I think that's definitely the top way to use that platform, you know? Mm -hmm. So Erica, you had mentioned that you've also dealt with some business burnout. I know you reached out to me after I, you know, did a podcast episode basically talking about my experience with burnout. And I would love to hear more about that and how you kind of got yourself out of that burnout place. Absolutely. So quick backstory. 2016 was a year that just 
blew up. 2015, I was able to quit my waitressing job. And so this was my 100% full-time. I was working on the business full-time, but then in the evenings, I was waitressing at a German restaurant. So I was killing two bir- or feeding two birds, one scone. I was getting a couple customers at the restaurant as well. But I was able to quit that in 2015. 2016, things just exploded and I did really, really well. And then I also found out that I was pregnant. And so I spent a lot of the tail end of 2016 really preparing for 2017 and what that would potentially look like. And I thought to myself, if I can just do what I did last year, but not work so hard and just enjoy, I had a a nice maternity leave about six weeks before I started slowly getting back into the workflow. And I just wanted to maintain. And I did. And then 2018, I don't know what got into me, but I thought I just went back to my old ways. I was hustling too much. And I had a toddler and toddlers are a super time suck. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And they suck all this energy out of you. I was like releasing two collections. I was doing all this stuff. I was just like really going at a pace that was just not sustainable. And so at the end of the year, I would look back and I thought, I can't keep this up. There is no way. And I'm going to miss out on all the funny stuff that this kiddo is going to do. And I took a good chunk of time reflecting on what worked and what didn't and when I was most productive and when I wasn't. And that year really launched me into this year where I've been more organized I've done a better job at time blocking. When I am with my son, Declan, I try to be present and be there. Easier said than done. But taking walks and getting out of the house, even when it was like cold and terrible Chicago weather, was really, really helpful for balancing that burnout. Because he's a toddler, so he does a lot of funny stuff. And so really cherishing that and letting work just relax for a minute has been super helpful. I love that. I love that, you know, when you took that step back, you didn't just basically throw everything away and kind of just be like, I'm over this. In some ways, I feel like that's what I did (laughs) when I was burned out. I was just like, burn it all to the ground. (laughs) But I love what you said about taking inventory and figuring out, you know, what worked really well, what's not working as well. And so kind of making those wise decisions about where your time is best spent. Yeah. And another side note is that I would say also the past maybe month and a half, I have 100% fell back into, again, my old habits. And I, a couple days ago was like, this is a 2018 Erica right here and I need to stop. (laughs) (laughs) So what about what I'm doing right now is very much like last year. How can I change? What do I need to switch up? Because I am essentially in charge of how I feel and what I'm doing. You know, like my followers, they don't know what's coming next. Only I know that. So if I can plan it out however I want and just remembering that and only just focusing on what's working. And if something doesn't work, just forget about it and move on. I love that. So tell me more about the things that you chose to cut that you felt like weren't working as well. They were selling accessories and smaller items. So for me, my highest profit margin items were dirndls and blouses. 
and I had a lot of jewelry and smaller bags and scarves and all these other little things that were easy to sell. You know, I got that hit whenever the phone went off. I was like, cha-ching, and the phone was blowing up all day. And then at the end of the day, my sales were like $300. Hmm. Whereas another day, the phone would cha-ching, and the sales were $500 because one person bought a dirndl and a blouse and the profit margins on that sale are way higher and the marketing efforts on that were way lower. So I realized that I need to stop trying to sell all this little stuff and focus what I'm really good at, dirndls and blouses. And for me, the blouses was a part of my business that was really tough because my designs were not great. They were super basic. I didn't love the fit. And I felt that I was never upselling folks who bought a dirndl. I never said, do you need a blouse? Because the answer is usually yes. And I ran into another vendor at a show who was selling these blouses. And I looked over and I'm like, these designs are so nice. And the fabric is so nice. And I decided to outsource those instead of design and produce them myself. So now I buy them wholesale and sell them retail on my website. And that has freed up a lot of time and given me a lot of freedom to also say, hey, here's a blouse I've got. I love the quality. It's super trendy and it's going to look great with your dirndl. And so that's another higher profit item that I have. So just really focusing on those two items, dirndls and blouses, and letting the rest just kind of be there. I'm not taking away the jewelry or taking away all the accessories. They can kind of sell themselves because a $20 pair of earrings that has beer steins on it, someone's going to love it and buy it. I don't need to really push too hard on that. I love that. Everyone listening, just take this in for a minute. I mean, Erica is focused on two main products. That is it. I mean, that's like the foundation of your business. Like how freeing is that? I think we creative, entrepreneur, idea-filled people, like it feels limiting, but that's freedom right there. Like that's freedom from exhaustion and burnout and trying to do all the things. 100%. I had dirndls, blouses, bloomers, petticoats, purses, jewelry, men's shirts, German dog collars with a German flag on them. I had little hair clips. I mean, the list can literally go on and on. And when you're looking at that many SKUs and that many things and only carrying inventory, you know, one style only has about five to 10 pieces. So the turnaround on all of this stuff and making new items on the store, it was just insanity looking back on it. So it just feels so freeing to only have these two things to focus on. And it's surprisingly enough. So many people say, is that all you do? Like, how do you how are there enough people? How is this enough money? And I'm like, well, if you make sure that your profit margins are there and people want what you have, there's so many people out there in this world that have a need for something specific. And if you're talking to everyone, you're talking to no one. I don't know who first said that, but every time I hear it, I'm like, right, right, right. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, right. Oh, right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I should tack that up on my wall, I think. (laughs) Oh, that is so true. And you know what? I think you mentioned as well that when you kind of kept that focus narrow, 
you were able to see a great way to improve your blouses mm-hmm. and make what you sold so much better. So that's the other thing that comes with focus is then you can be the best. You can offer the best product for your audience. And I'm sure the same is true of like your dolls. And are you still designing and making the dolls? Yes. Okay. So the dolls, I designed them all and they're all produced in the U.S. and still at small quantities. So production on one style is usually between 10 and 40 pieces. And which if you think about the whole U.S., that's not many pieces. And then the blouses, I do have like a special plus size line coming out soon, but I've really just like narrowed that down as well. And when someone comes to the website, what I also want to do is provide the best customer service and be of most help. Something that a giant like Amazon or some other random website that has dirndls doesn't have because you can buy a dirndl on Amazon and it's not going to be the worst thing ever, but it's not going to be the same and you're not going to be able to call somebody and ask questions. You're not going to be able to have that experience that when you get it and you open up this pretty box. So these are all little things that I make sure that I stand out in where other places can't. How am I different from Amazon? My customer service and all of the knowledge and content that I bring to the table. Ah, that is gold right there. (laughs) I feel like Erica, I mean, without realizing it, you're like supporting (laughs) everything that I feel like. I try to teach my brilliant business moms all the time of like, yes, like focus, dig deep, know who your customer is, find all those ways to differentiate yourself and do the things that the big guys can't do. Like you said, amazing customer service, being an expert, being a resource in that field. That's another thing that so many shop owners are very reluctant to do, which is put out great content and educate and, you know, content that supports that product that you sell. Yeah. And some folks, when I talk to them, they're like, well, yeah, it's easy for you because you have such a specific product. Like what you talk about is very obvious. And so what I think when I hear that is, well, then you have to focus your product and find out who you're talking to. Because if you have a line of say women's wear for the office, then you have to pick an office. What kind of person, who is this woman? Is she in marketing? Is she a lawyer? If she's a lawyer, then just market to lawyers. There's enough. Yeah. I find that I do my best work when there's restrictions around what I'm doing. So if you can create that with your customer avatar and who you're talking to, these Jen and Linda are real people. So I try to talk to them when I'm writing this stuff because it it makes it a lot easier for me. Yes. I love that. Okay. I have one more question about Jen and Linda because... I get this question from students all the time as well, which is, they're like, Beth Ann, can I have two ideal customers? Clearly, yes, you can. (laughs) I mean, you're proof of that. But then they want to know, okay, so how do I balance? Like, how do I know when and how to talk to each of these different customers? Sure. So in the beginning, like I said, it was pretty much just Jen. And then slowly I realized Linda's also really one of my customers. So I was doing probably 70% marketing to Jen because she was definitely going to be a return customer. And I felt return customers were more value to me than one-time customers. Then over time, I realized that Linda 
is also a return customer. Because once you have a dirndl, then you want to find more places to wear it just besides that one trip you took. And then once you find all the places you can wear it, a few years down the line, you're like, I've been rocking this for three years. I need another one. (laughs) So I tend to do almost a 50-50 split, but I would think about it really about that profit, about that return customer, like which one is really the juiciest one and give more time to them. And I definitely talk more to Linda during this time of year, during like Oktoberfest season, what I call like, this is really the summertime building up to traveling to Oktoberfest, because that's really when she's doing the deep Google searches, when she's looking for this. There's some people that plan further ahead. And that's why I've got all that content there for her. But right now, my marketing is going to be towards Linda, whereas the rest of the year is more towards Jen because she's wearing a dirndl all year long. Does that make sense? Yes, that makes perfect sense. And again, how and when and where you're marketing to these two customers is, it sounds like it's easy for you to figure that out because you know those two customers so well. Mm -hmm. And you know when each of them is buying and you know what they need to hear. Yeah. Well, Erica, this has been so much fun talking to you. I just, I feel like I've learned so much. You've just emphasized again that importance of serving your customers well and having a focus and being excellent at what you do. As we wrap up, I would love to hear if you've got either a funny or an adorable mom moment to share. Oh, yeah, sure. (laughs) So the other day, my son and I went for a walk around the neighborhood. And after his nap, we had a big excursion. We were going to go visit one of our friends who's a fireman at a firehouse. He was going to get to see the fire truck and the engines. And the next day, we went to a family party. And I said, Declan, tell them where we went yesterday, what you saw. And he just stood there kind of quiet like, tell him what you saw. He's like, a backhoe. He saw a backhoe on our walk. And that was the most memorable thing of the whole day was seeing a parked construction vehicle. (laughs) You're like, I'm so glad I planned this whole day. I'm like, I'm so glad we had a whole fire truck themed day. And all you remember is during our walk, you saw a backhoe. (laughs) I think that, you know what, that just emphasizes like, it's just so important to cherish all those little moments because you never know yeah. <laughs> like what your kids are going to remember and cherish <laughs> as like their favorite memories. <laughs> right. And it also makes me feel better that he's learning something from Blippi is actually teaching him something because I didn't know what a backhoe was. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> well, Erica, this has been so much fun. Can you tell everyone where's the best place for them to find you online? Absolutely. RareDirndl.com. That's R-A-R-E-D-I-R-N-D-L.com. At RareDirndl on Instagram and Facebook. And yeah, that's essentially it. I have a Pinterest page, but there's not much on there. (laughs) Wonderful. Thank (laughs) you so much. Thank you. Thank you. 